Now, I'm going to put two words on the screen here, okay? And as soon as the word goes up on the screen, I want you to say it out loud, okay? So the first word is this. Let's try that again. Okay, next word. For most of you, those two words sounded identical. Absolutely identical, apart from my wife here, and a few of you who knew what I was getting at there. Par and par. One has one syllable, the other one has two syllables, just so you know. So when you mock me, remember that you're the one who says it wrong, okay? You're the one who says it wrong. Actually, I know I've told some of you this before, but the only reason we sound posh is because when we lived in another country, uh, just across a border, a few miles down the road, when we went there, we led a church where there were 25 nationalities, and for the first six months, every time we said par, they had no idea what we were talking about. So over five years, because it's kind of a word that you use a lot in church, we had to start saying power. And actually, once you start saying it like that, it's hard to start saying it wrong, like you do. And so you're going to hear me use the word power. I might interchangeably mingle them because I'm bilingual um, between uh, real English and Northern Irish English. But uh, I am going to use that word a lot. But I just want you to know that it is power is the word. Okay, so feel free to start using that and taking abuse from your friends, neighbors, and relatives. Uh, when you do that, just like you have given me abuse Danny McCauley for the last few years and the reason I say that is because during the week there were two verses that I felt God speak to me quite frequently and they were these Acts 1-8 you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on you you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the, then the apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth and he said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirits. These are so good, you're getting this. So that my faith, your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's I just, I feel like I just get every verse in the Bible and just do that for the next 25 minutes or so. But I love that. If you have that last verse on again, my message, my, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Some of you are like, absolutely. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. In other words, just men and women's good ideas. I don't want your faith just to be about words. I want it to be about. And you know what? We're really good at words in the church. We're really good at words. And you know what we should be? We are a people of the word. If you've been coming to the church for any length of time, you will know that we love the word of God. The word of God is over us. We stand on, it's our foundation. It is our authority. We preach it. I don't, on, and I don't say this boastfully, but I don't know many churches that, that, that preach as long and as, as and put as much prep and, and we just we take the word of God seriously is what I'm saying here we are a word church we're a church that believes in the word of God we proclaim the truth without without apology and without reserve we believe every part of it is God's word from the front cover right to the maps at the back okay it is all inspired by God but the danger is this if you are just a word 
church, you become a really good, solid evangelical church. And you know what? I love good, solid evangelical church. I am an evangelical to the core. I was part of a reformed Baptist church for two years, okay? If you don't know what that is, look it up. It doesn't look a lot like this in here today, okay? But I love the evangelical church. I am an evangelical. I believe in the evangelical tenets of faith to the core. But the problem is this. If that is all you are, you become a good, lively church that preaches the Bible and has nice music. And that's great, and there's many churches like that, but you are missing a whole dimension of the Christian faith, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. You have got the words, but you don't have the power. And we are a word and a spirit church. Now, I know churches that are all spirit and little word, and they are messed up. They get into heresy, they swing from the chandeliers, and they bark like dogs, and they get up to all sorts of weirdness. And I don't want to go to a church like that, okay? But neither do I want to be in a church where it's only about the word and no spirit, because the spirit and the word were always meant to be one. They're not separate. It's not either or. It's both and. Jesus actually said, my words are spirit and life. When you hear Jesus, when you, when you hear the word of God, it should be spirit. And we have separated what should always be together. I, I, I read a story in the BBC news uh, app two days ago. And it was just one of those stories that really captured my attention. It was about two girls called Amy and Anno. They were a set of identical twins, but a few days after they were born, they were separated. They were taken away from their mother in the country of Georgia, and they were sold to separate families. And they grew up not knowing that they had a twin. They grew up not knowing that the other one existed. And the story of how Amy and Anno discovered each other starts when they were 12 years old. They were living maybe about 80 or 100 miles apart. Amy was at her godmother's house near the Black Sea watching uh, her favorite TV program, George's Got Talent. There was a girl dancing the jive on the TV who looked exactly like her. Can you imagine that? I'd be like, that guy's handsome. Um, but, uh, no, but, like, but not just like her. In fact, the girl on TV looked identical. Everyone was calling my mom, she says, and asking, why is Amy dancing under a different name, she says. Amy mentioned it to her family, but her family brushed it off, saying, oh, everybody has a doppelganger. Seven, so she just, she sort of, she, she sensed there was something more to it, but what could she do? She was 12. Seven years later, November 2021, Amy posted a video of herself on uh, TikTok getting blue hair, or with blue hair getting her eyebrow pierced. 200, sorry, 200 miles away in T Tbilisi. Another 19-year-old girl called Anno was sent the video by a friend. And she, her, her friend said, this is cool, this girl looks like you. Can you imagine? And Anno tried to trace the girl with a pierced eyebrow but couldn't find her. So she shared the video on the university WhatsApp group to see if anyone could help. And someone who knew Amy saw the message and connected them on Facebook, okay? So Amy instantly knew that Anna was the girl that she'd seen 12, or when she was 12 on George's Got Talent. And, uh, and they arranged, uh, she messaged her. She says, I've been looking for you for so long. And the other one said, me too. Uh, and so over the next few days, they discovered that a lot in common, but not a lot of it made sense. They liked the same music. They both loved dancing. They even had the same hairstyle. They discovered that the same genetic disease, a bone disorder called dysplasia. dysplasia. Uh, they were both born in Kurtishki maternity hospital that no longer exists in Western Georgia, but according to their birth certificates, they were born a couple of weeks apart. 
So they couldn't be sisters, much less twins, but there were too many similarities. It felt like they were unraveling a mystery together. They arranged to meet a week later, and as Amy approached the top of an escalator at a metro station, she, uh, she and Anno saw each other in the flesh for the first time, and she said this, it was like looking in a mirror, the exact same face, exact same voice. I am her, and she is me, said Amy. She knew that they were twins. Isn't that a, a, an amazing story? I tell you just because I love the story, but also because I believe a lot of people treat the Holy Spirit like that. We separate the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. We separate the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. And we, 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 we assume that, that the Word is all we need, or as long as we know about God the Father and God the Son, that's all we need. But we don't realize that the, that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is just as important and just as much part of the Godhead as the Father and Son. And the Holy Spirit is just as essential to our Christian faith as the Word of God. In fact, the Holy Spirit and the Word both have one purpose, and that is to reveal Christ. Every book in Scripture, all 66 books, reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And so when we separate them, yes, we can do that, but we're missing something. But when they come together, you realize that that's the way it should always have been. I don't think most Christians ignore the Holy Spirit deliberately. I think either they haven't been taught about him, they grew up in a tradition where it was the Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and the Holy Spirit was maybe said in the creed on a Sunday, but that was as much attention as he got. Or maybe like me, you grew up in a traditional Anglican Church of Ireland background where uh, in the creeds, he was called the Holy Ghost. And so when I was growing up, I came through a traditional Church of Ireland, and we said the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and we talked about the Holy Ghost. And now, this was around the time that the movie Ghostbusters came out. And so every time I would say the creed, I would start looking around, expecting some sort of white kind of banshee thing to float through the church. Because this, when you say ghost, that's what you automatically think of. And I didn't want to be around a ghost. And so I kind of just kept my distance from the Holy Spirit. Um, I think some other people are reluctant to get too close to the Holy Spirit or talk about him too much because they've seen a lot of weird things related to the Holy Spirit. They've been in meetings or maybe they've watched Christian TV and they've seen all sorts of bizarre and crazy things and people say, oh, that's the power of the Holy Ghost there. And you think, well, if that's the Holy Spirit, I want nothing to do with him. Can I say to you that the people who are weird with the Holy Spirit are weird if they don't have the Holy Spirit, okay? If they were train spotters, they would be weird train spotters. The Holy Spirit probably just accentuates their weirdness a little bit, okay? But the Holy Spirit gets blamed for all, you know, for all sorts of things that he didn't do. And so don't let that put you off. Like the twins we talked about a minute ago, the Holy Spirit is real, he is alive, he is available, and he is not meant to be separated from the rest of the Godhead. And by getting to know him, we come into the fullness of the Christian life. In fact, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Life in its fullness. Zoe is the Greek word. The, 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 the richest form of life. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never experience 
that. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity becomes religion, it becomes routine, it becomes dry, it becomes dead, it becomes all about your work and your effort, and it becomes boring, and church becomes a social club or, a, or, or just a religious institution. It was Bono from U2 who said this, um, religion is what you have when the Spirit has left the building. And when we look at the church across many places today, it's a religious institution and it's a social club, but it's, a, it's not a place where the Holy Spirit is often welcome. It was said that if the, early, if, the, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the early church, the first century church, it would have fallen apart. If the Holy Spirit was removed from the 21st century church, especially in the West, most people wouldn't even notice because we have our structures and our programs and we can do it all on our own. And yet when you look at the places where the church is growing, where the church is flourishing, where there's revival, where there's people coming to faith every day, in places like Africa and South America and Asia, they place an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Where they see miracles and healings and signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit is very much central. And then you look at the church in the West, which is in decline which has gone liberal, which is, is teaching all sorts of heresy, which, which promotes all sorts of things that the world's promoting, which, which the Bible forbids. They have neglected the Holy Spirit. When you don't have the Holy Spirit at the center of the church, you have a weak, powerless, impotent church that will never impact the world around us. And so if we're going to make a difference in Craig Avon and Northern Ireland and the nations, we need the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon us, flowing in us, and flowing through us, out of us. And so I'm just going to lay a foundation this morning. We're going to be doing a series over the next four or five weeks, but I just want to lay a foundation um, on the Holy Spirit. I want us to get acquainted with him. Now, I know for some of you, this is stuff that you have known for years, and that's okay. It's really important that we keep coming back to the essentials. We see that in Scripture. The Apostle Paul tells people stuff that they already knew. But for some of you, and I know we have people who come, we have a lot of people who have come to this church in the last few while from different church backgrounds. And maybe you haven't had this teaching. And so I think every couple of years it's important that we get us. I want you to know where we stand on this. And then you can make a decision whether you want to be part of it or not. But at least you know where we stand. This is so central to who we are. We are a word and a spirit church. And we will always be a word and a spirit church. Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, there's lots of ways to meet people, especially today. Sometimes you meet people on social media. If you're single, sometimes you will meet people through a dating app. But I found that one of the best ways to meet someone is when somebody you know already knows them and they introduce you to them, especially if you trust that person. Because if you trust that person, they say, this is someone that I'd like you to meet, you kind of go, well, they must, be a, they must not be a psychopath. You know, they must be fine because this person, I trust them, and they're vouching for them. And, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who says, I want you to meet the Holy Spirit. I want to introduce you to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus does for the first disciples in John chapters 14 to 16. It's towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's just had the Last Supper. It's the night before he goes to the cross. He's in the upper room with them, and they know something's happening. They haven't fully grasped it all yet, but they know that Jesus is, is, is coming to the end of his time with them. And they're upset. That's why he says in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
And they're, they're trying to figure out what this is all about. And Jesus then starts teaching them, actually, I'm not leaving you alone. They're going to send you the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in John 14, 16 to 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So Jesus here introduces the disciples to the Holy Spirit. And we have this picture of the Trinity. The word Trinity is never actually mentioned in the Bible, but we see it on a number of occasions, and this is one of them. Jesus says, Jesus the Son says, I will ask the Father, and he will send you the Spirit, the Comforter. Jesus, Son, Father, Spirit, Trinity. Same when Jesus is baptized. He's put under water. The Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. So some people struggle with the idea of the Trinity, say that's not in Scripture. It is very clearly in Scripture. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But look at what Jesus says here. He describes the Holy Spirit as another counselor. Now in Greek, there's two words for another. One, the first word is heteros, from which we get the word heterosexual. It's another of a different kind, okay? So if I were in a restaurant and I were to say, can I have another can of Coke? I ordered a Coke, Diet Coke, and I get a can of Diet Coke. I finish it. I say, could I have a, a, another one of those? And they bring me a can of Fanta. That's a heteros drink. It's another drink, but it's of a different kind. The word here Jesus uses is alos, and it's another of the same kind. So I finish my Diet Coke. I say, could I have another one? They bring me another can of Diet Coke. That is an alos can. And what Jesus is saying here is this, I will send you another counselor, another helper, another of the same kind. The same kind is what? The same kind as me. The Holy Spirit is so like Jesus. He's not spooky. He's not like the weird cousin who visits at Christmas. You know, the one that drinks a little bit too much and you can't, if, that's, if you don't know them, that's possibly you. Um, <laughs> But, but you, he's not the weird sort of second cousin. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son is. He's not some watered-down version. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. And Jesus says, Alos, he is just like me. The Greek word is, 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 is paraklete. It means one who comes alongside. And he says he's going to be a helper. So it's a helper who comes alongside. Who doesn't need someone to help them and come alongside them? Some of you need more help than I do, but we all, we, we all need help, okay? We, you know, we all could do with some help. Monday morning, the alarm goes off at 7 o'clock, we need some help. We're in work, and that person who gets on our very last nerve, we need some help. That neighbor is pushing things again with us, we need some help. That relative... We need some help. We're confused about what to do. Should I apply for this job? Should I not? We need some help. That's what the Holy Spirit, if Jesus was physically here, you would ask him, Jesus, what should I do here? Jesus, would you help me with this? Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit, Alos, just like me, is here with you to help you. To help me with what? To help you with anything that you would ask Jesus to help you with. The Holy Spirit is here to help guide and direct you. He's there to help you in every aspect and area of your life. And we'll talk about how he does that in a moment or two.
But he says this about him next. He says, I will, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. To be with you forever. I went down one of these rabbit holes online last week where I started reading stories. I don't know, somebody had posted a story that their husband had gone out to get a pint of milk and had never come back. And then other people underneath it start posting, yeah, my husband went to work one day seven years ago and I never saw him again. Then somebody else says, yeah, my wife, you know, she went to the gym two months ago and I haven't. And, and all these people, and they're like sharing these stories in social media and you're like, goodness me, this is, like, this is wild. Do you know what I mean? I, I, the, someone they loved, someone they thought would be there forever, goes to the spa and, and just doesn't come back, ends up in Bermuda or somewhere like that. And I just, I, I was thinking about like, when, when, when you are in a covenant relationship like that, you think they're always going to be with you. Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There will never be a morning that you wake up if you're a Christian that the Holy Spirit will have departed from you. Now, at times you might get distant from him, but he never leaves you. At times you might wander from him, but he never departs from you. It's not like you go to bed one night and you feel his presence with you and the next morning you wake up and he's totally gone. He's with you all the time. He will be with you forever. He will be with you every single day of your life. And Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. We live in a world where it's hard to figure out the truth at the moment. There's a lot of lies I think the last three years have really taught us that. We used to trust what the government said. I don't completely trust the government anymore. That's just me, folks, okay? I'm a conspiracy theorist, okay? I don't believe everything they told us in 2020, okay? I, I don't trust the government. We used to trust the church. We don't trust the church anymore. The church has told us lies. Every single week, I read of a major church leader falling into immorality, sin, what, something at the minute. We don't trust the church anymore. The government, we don't trust the church anymore. The media, we don't even need to go there, okay? It's very hard to know who to trust. We live in a post-truth world. We live in a world where you really aren't sure if what you're reading on the news is actually the news or just something they've been told to tell us. It's very hard to know who to trust. I want to tell you, you can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust him because why? He is the spirit of truth. His very essence, his very nature, his very core, his very DNA is truth. The Holy Spirit He's incapable of lying, just like God can't, God the Father and God the Son cannot lie. The Holy Spirit will never lie. He will never deceive you. He will never lead you up the garden path. He will always tell you the truth. Satan is the father of lies, it says in John 8, 44. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. You can trust him to lead you into truth. And so in a world where there's so much confusion, when you see something and you're not sure, you just say, Holy Spirit, is that the truth? Actually, you know what you'll normally get that sense of? Oh, there's something off. I know what they're telling me, but something within me is telling me that that's not the whole truth. We've all experienced that, haven't we? That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. Because he's the spirit of truth. And he's telling you, that's not 100% the truth. Just pay attention there. 
You can completely trust. What else did Jesus say about him? John 14, 26. But the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Again, Jesus calls him the helper. What else does he help us with? He will teach us all things. Now, sometimes we'll joke and say, you're such a know-it-all. And we normally say that to someone who's not a know-it-all. But do you know what? The Holy Spirit is a know-it-all. God is omniscient. He knows everything. There is no subject that he's not an expert on. There is no question that you have that he does not have the answer to. The Holy Spirit knows every single thing, past, present, and future. And that's why it says this, he will remind you of everything I, I, I have said to you. And it says in the previous passage, we looked at a minute ago, he will lead you into all truth. He will remind you in the present of truth, and he will point you towards truth in the future because he knows everything there is to know. What else does Jesus say? Over to chapter 16, same conversation. It's chapter 14, just a little bit later in the evening. Uh, John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples are annoyed, they're disturbed, they're upset that Jesus has said he's leaving. And Jesus actually says, guys, it's actually for your good. It's for your benefit. It's for your blessing that I'm going. Because I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, if I had been Peter, I would have said, Jesus, I know you're right most of the time, but in this situation, you're wrong. I don't mean to contradict you, Jesus, because you're the Son of God, and I've already declared that, okay? But in this situation, you're wrong. Because we would rather have you physically present with us, where we can see you visibly, where we can touch you, than have you leave and have a spirit that we can't see. And that would make sense. But Jesus would say, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's actually better for you that I go back to the Father and I send the Spirit. And I would say, why? And he would say, two reasons, I think. He would say, the first one is this. While I am here on earth, I am limited to a physical body. I can only be in one place at one time. And Jesus would have said, if I'm in Capernaum, I cannot be in Jerusalem. And if someone in Jerusalem needs me and I'm down somewhere else on Lake Galilee, they can't have access to me. Also, while I'm here on earth, I sleep. Jesus slept, folks. Probably seven, eight hours a night like you. If you needed him in the middle of the night, he was sleeping. So he says, it's better that I go back to the Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he is going to be everywhere all the time. He is in Portadown. He is in Lurgan. Okay, he's not in Lurgan. He, I was a person, I actually, I did, I know, I pushed out. I was a preacher's you know, uh, exaggeration there. He's in Portadown, Craig Avon, Moira, um, <laughs> Lisburn, Belfast. I'm just on the train here. Um, but he, he's in Craig Avon, and he's in Korean, and he's in China, and he's in Pakistan, and he's in South Africa, and he's in India, and he's in Australia, and he's in America. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. And if you wake up in the middle of the night right now in the west coast of America, the Holy Spirit is right with you if you're a Christian, just as he's with us right now. He's everywhere all the time. That's the first reason it's better that Jesus goes back to the Father because the Allos, the one who is just like him, 
can be everywhere at once. The second reason is this. While Jesus was here on earth, he was external to us. He was outside us. Um, he, he's out there. And the Holy Spirit, because he is a spirit, isn't out there. He is in here. The power and the presence of God actually dwells within us. That's what Jesus said, John 14, 17. He says, the spirit of truth lives with you. At that point, before Jesus is, is crucified and resurrected, the Holy Spirit was just with the disciples. So that's present tense. He lives with you and he will be in you. Once Jesus dies, rises again, goes back to heaven and glory, the Holy Spirit can then be in the disciples. Why? Because they've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He was with them before the crucifixion and the blood, but after the blood, because they are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit can come and live inside them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit appears often, and he came and he rested on certain individuals at particular times for certain tasks. People like Deborah and Gideon and, and Samson and Moses and Joshua. The Spirit would come and rest on them for a period of time to perform a function or, or, or to, for a particular task. But when Jesus says that he will send the Holy Spirit, he will not just come upon us externally, which he will, but the Holy Spirit will actually come and live within us. The illustration I use sometimes is this. And it's, please, it's a crude illustration, but let go along. Imagine this is God, okay? In the Old Testament, God was external because of people's sin. God could not dwell with sinful humanity. And so God was in the temple or the tabernacle, more specifically a place called the Holy of Holies. The high priest went in one day a year, a day a year, the presence of God was there. You dwelt, you came close to the presence of God. But God was always external. Now, sometimes, I'm not going to do this, but certain individuals, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and he would rest upon them. But that was it. He was always external. Jesus comes, he dies, he rises again, he goes back to the Father. We are declared righteous. In the eyes of God, we are sinless. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin because. A holy God cannot dwell in sinful vessels, but because of Jesus, we are declared righteous. Now, where does God live? Inside us. If you were alive two and a half thousand years ago and you said, we're 3,000 years ago, what is God's address? They would have said, the temple in Jerusalem. That's God's address, the Holy of Holies. Do you know what God's address is today? Your seat. God's address is you. God lives in you just as much as he dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple 2,000 years ago. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? Look at what the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are a temple. That's why it matters what we do with our bodies. That's why it matters whether we live holy or immoral lives. Yes, we're declared righteous by Christ, but when you live an unholy life, that becomes a place where the Holy Spirit goes, I, I'm struggling here because I need... That's why you receive conviction from the Holy Spirit because he wants to live in a clean temple. 
the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. The moment you're born again, the moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. I hear people say all the time, you know, I'd love to be a Christian, but I could never stick at it. I, I don't have, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. And I always say, you are exactly right. You could never live the Christian life on your own, but you're never meant to. When you become a Christian, God comes and lives within you. And he doesn't change you from the outside in. He doesn't polish you up and you become good living. You put on your Sunday best, carry your King James Bible, say thee, thou, and they, and, uh, and, and, and look down on anyone who has a pint. That is not what being a Christian is. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and begins to transform you from the inside out. That's why Ephesians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love. I'm not very loving. He'll come and help you love. Joy. I'm miserable. He will give you joy. Patience. I've got a wife. He will give you patience. <laughs> Resurrection. I will need that after church today. <laughs> kindness. I'm not very kind. He will give you kindness. Gentleness. I'm a bit harsh. He will give you gentleness. Patience. Self-control. I'm not very disciplined. I struggle. He will give you self-control. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to change you from the inside out. Religion is outside in. It's just behavior modification. And it's ugly, because you can only keep that up for so long. And we all know those people who are religious, but when the mask comes down, you see who they really are. But when you actually realize, you know what, on my own, I can't do any of this, but I can allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, to work through me, because he is the Holy Spirit. The primary job of the Holy Spirit is not to give you goosebumps or even miracles. It is to, he, is, he is to make you holy. He is to make you more like Jesus. When he comes and dwells within you, he will start to make you more like him because he's holy. And you will start to notice, I used to get really mad when somebody did that, and I, I don't get as mad anymore. I used to really struggle with this, but I don't battle this because as you submit and surrender your life and God comes and lives within you and his Holy Spirit starts to work within you, he starts to change you from the inside out. I'm finishing now, but let me just finish up with this. So Jesus introduces the disciples to the Holy Spirit. Notice what he continually calls him. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, he, not it. And this is really important. Because for many years of my Christian life, I called the Holy Spirit it, and I heard people call the Holy Spirit it. Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. He comes with power, but he's not some power. He is a person who has power. He is not a force to be used. He is a friend to be loved. The Holy Spirit is not some force out there to be used. And sometimes in meetings it feels like that, the way people talk about him. No, the Holy Spirit is not some force out there to be used. He is a friend who lives inside you, who wants to have a relationship with you. When we were at school, we used to always finish assembly by saying the grace. Say it with me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the... We got this all evermore. The, what was that last bit? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What does fellowship mean? Relationship, friendship, communion. May the love of God, I can get that. We know about the love of God. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that. But when's the last time you thought about that last phrase? It's, it's the last verse of 2 Corinthians, actually. It's a, it's a verse, in, it's a prayer of Paul. The communion, the, the Greek word's koinonia. It's what they talk about the believers in Acts 2. They had fellowship. They were all one. It's, they had a bond. They had, they, had, they had communion. They had life together. They, they, there was a closeness. There was an intimacy. There was a friendship. There was a connection. That's what he said here. The communion. Jesus brings us grace. The Father gives us love. And the Holy Spirit gives us friendship, connection, communion, fellowship. You know, I have no problem thinking of a relationship with God the Father because I know what it is to have an earthly father. And Jesus the Son, I can think about that because he walked the earth and he was a physical. But the Spirit, you can have a friendship with the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not a force. He's a friend. I can talk to him. He can talk to me. I can stand in a room and look around and he will speak to me and I will speak to him. I can be confused about something and I can say, Holy Spirit, what should I do? And he will... Tell me if I will listen and learn to discern his voice. And we'll talk about how we do that in the weeks ahead. But I think that was, for me, this has been one of those things that I have, it has been a life-changing thing for me, realizing that I can have a relationship, a friendship with the Spirit, that he's not some weird force out there kind of hovering over Christian conferences, knocking people down now and again. Or he is a friend he is God and he lives within me and I can know him as a friend and I can talk to him. And the Holy Spirit loves it when you talk to him. Think about it. If you had been ignored for 2,000 years, you would like it when people talk to you. That's why at the start of every service we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Now we know he's here, but there's a difference between being somewhere and being welcome somewhere. We have all been places that we haven't felt welcome. And so we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. And you know what? When you're welcome somewhere, it makes a lot of difference. I invited some friends to come and speak this term in, in our church. And there are people who were leading another church somewhere, and it's been messy, and they have stood down from leadership. And I said, guys, I would love you some Sunday to come and speak and hope. And they got back to me and they said, we're, we're taking a bit of time out now. But they said, Craig, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for making us feel welcome at a time when people are saying all sorts of stuff about us. And I said, guys, you're welcome anytime. Because I know their character. But for them, it wasn't just that I'd reached out. It was that I said, you're welcome here. The Holy Spirit loves to feel welcome. He loves it when you talk to him. I think the Holy Spirit sometimes just craves your conversation. You don't pray to the Holy Spirit, can I say that? And here's, here's the way I think about it. When Jesus was on earth, Peter didn't get down on his knees and go, Dear Jesus, what are we having for dinner tonight? You know, I have two or five loaves and two fishes and would thee turn us them into a feed for the crowdest? Uh, what did he do? He said, uh, Jesus, these people are hungry and there's nothing to eat. And Jesus said, what have we got? We've got... They just talked to Jesus. Why? Because he was on earth. We don't... They didn't pray to Jesus. They talked to him. Where's Jesus now? In glory, at the right hand of the Father. God the Father, 
Jesus at his right hand, so who's on earth? We talk to him. Does that make sense? And I know because he's not physical or visible, that can be tricky, but learn to talk to him. I would hope most of you at some stage have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you've felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's a sign that he is with you. If he's with you, why not talk to him? He wants to talk to you. And we'll learn how to do that. We'll learn how he speaks in, in two, three weeks. We're going to do probably four or five weeks on this. Next week, we'll be thinking about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or baptized with the Spirit? What about the whole speaking in tongues thing? What is that about? Then we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. And then we're going to talk about hearing God speak. So we're really going to take three or four weeks here and, 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 and reintroduce you or introduce you for the first time to the Holy Spirit. But I think I have so much more here, but I want to leave it at this. The Holy Spirit wants you to be his friend and he wants to be your friend. He wants you to talk to him and he wants to talk to you. And why don't you just, you know what, if I, I'm not giving you homework, but if I was giving you something to do this week, it would be this. Try to become conscious during the day of the presence of the Spirit and just say, hello, Holy Spirit. One of the first books I read when I became a Christian in my teenage years was called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Why not start your day instead of saying, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you for today. I want to finish with a story. Would the band come up, actually? And it's from a pastor called Robert Morris. He's a pastor of a church called uh, Gateway in Dallas, Texas, a massive church there. But I, just, I thought it, it beautifully illustrated what I've been trying to say here uh, at the end. I'll, just, I'll read it just as he tells it. He says, I wasn't born again when Debbie and I first got married. Nine months after I made Debbie my wife, I made Jesus my Lord and experienced him as Savior. While this was a powerful and transforming event, I still had a lot of emotional issues for which I needed healing and restoration. For one, I was insecure and even afraid of other people. I usually put on an outer show of confidence, but it was always a thin facade of cockiness covering a large amount of low self-esteem. When we were first married, I used to dread Debbie dragging me to Christmas parties. She naturally has a happy and outgoing personality, and she would invariably run off and chat with a friend while I was left to fend for myself. At the end of the night when we got into the car to go home, I'd be upset with her. She couldn't understand why. She didn't know she'd done anything wrong because, of course, she hadn't. But I would get a pathetic tone in my voice and say, You left me. What do you mean, Robert? I was there all night. You left me, and I was all alone. And, and people came up to me and, and talked to me. It was horrible. We're talking about a grown man here. However, something remarkable happened when I entered into a real, personal, and dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time we went to one of those dreaded social gatherings after my friendship with the Holy Spirit began. There I was, standing alone with a glass of punch in my hand and thinking, she did it to me again. She's off chatting away, and here I am, alone and defenseless. Then I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit clearly inside me saying, I'm here, Robert, and you're not alone. The Holy Spirit and I started a conversation, one of the first of more than I can account. On this night, when the Spirit spoke, my eyes noticed a man across the room. The Holy Spirit said, do you see that man? He's got a very bad report from his doctor the other day. He's afraid he's going to die and leave his young family destitute. You could pray for him. So I did. 
Next, I noticed a silver-haired woman, and the Holy Spirit commented she lost her husband a few months ago. She's battling loneliness and crushing grief. Let's pray for her. At one point, a man walked up and started a conversation. Instead of looking for a window to climb out of, I asked the Holy Spirit to use me to bless or help this person. The Holy Spirit prompted me to ask him about an area of his life that seemed quite personal. Still, I obeyed his prompting and said, are you doing okay with, and mentioned the area, and then mentioned what the Holy Spirit had revealed to me. The man looked at me in shock for a few seconds and then began to cry. I had the humble privilege of praying for him and giving him some desperately needed encouragement. What's more, I didn't interact with this gentleman in a way that made me seem weird or made him feel humiliated. That's not the way of the Holy Spirit. I can say this from my experience with him. He is gentle and kind. Whenever he is allowed to work, encouragement, light, life, and healing come. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for us as a church. And I hope, like me, over these weeks, you will enter into that with me. So that as we move through these next four or five weeks, whatever it is, at the end of it, we will have had a fresh encounter and developed a real friendship with the Holy Spirit.